0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is Kenneth, and you are listening to The Kilter Preacher. For today's segment, I'm just going to jump right into the scripture, if you want to follow along. I'm going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite prophets. Okay, now Elisha, uh, fallen sick... And Joash, the king of Israel, came down and wept over his face and said, O father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said to him, "Uh, Take your bow and arrows. And Joash took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria from you will smite the Syrians in Aphek to uh till you have consumed them. And just a little uh, just a little side note here. I ring I read King James, uh I like King James, it's sentimental. I don't have a King James only doctrine. Uh, I do like ESV as well. But um uh, I read out of King James and so I'm trying to like translate from king james to you know understandable english while i'm reading it at the same time so if things sound a little funny that's the reason why but let me get back uh to the point what was that let me see verse 18 uh da, 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 and he uh, and he said take the arrows and he took them and he said to the king of israel hit them on the ground and he hit three times and 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 stopped and the man of God was mad with them and said, "You have, uh, you should have hit six or uh, five or six times until you would have uh, broken Syria, but now and, and consumed it. Whereas now you will only win, uh, you'll only uh, hit three times." And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of Moab and uh, the Moabites invaded the lands in the coming year. Uh that's where i'm gonna stop with that um i really like elisha um as you know he was um the man who washed elijah's hands and that's like what he was known for elijah had uh hit him with coat his mantle while he was uh tilling his father's farm his farmland and he told elijah Let me kiss my mother and father goodbye, and then I'll go follow you. And Elijah said, what have I done to you? And basically, he's like, show me what just happened. You know, it was a test. And uh, he took his family's livelihood. You got to understand, this didn't just affect Elijah. This affected his father and his mother, too. Uh, They had 12 yoke of oxen, which was pretty wealthy at that time. So it's safe to assume that Elisha came from a wealthy family. But anyways uh took the twelve yoke of oxen and um used the yolks and uh basically cooked them fed his his uh family and their servants and stuff and then went on to follow his uh went on to follow elijah so this was this was essentially his forsake all follow christ moment um you know now christ being revealed jesus being revealed and uh when elijah had uh, done what he was going to do and the Lord said, you know, come over here to Jericho, uh, just or come, come over here just beyond uh, the Jordan over with Jericho and uh, Elisha followed him and he was like Elijah, don't you know the Lord's going to take you and Elijah's like, yeah dude, just like chill, be quiet and and uh, then the prophets, they would uh, come up to Elisha and say, don't you know your master's going to be taken and Elisha would tell him like you know, just chill, don't say anything and uh, they get to the Jordan. Elijah hits it with his mantle and it splits and then they walk across. And then Elijah asks Elisha, is there anything I can do for you before before I'm taken? And Elijah asks for a double portion of his anointing. And Elijah's like, how can I give you twice of what I only have? And he said, but nevertheless, if you see the chariots uh, uh, take me, you'll have the double portion. And that's what he saw, and that's kind of what Joab, uh, Joash was reciting back to Elisha on his deathbed, which to me I kind of cringe at because Joash was not—he uh, was not a good king. He uh, caused Israel to sin more. It says he followed after his father. How does it put it? Verse eleven. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam. Uh, the son of Bat, uh, Nabat and made Israel to sin, but he walked therein. So he wasn't he wasn't a good king. As a matter of fact, in most most if not all the kings of Israel, with the exception of Jehu, it kind of mentions they weren't really good. But um, then from that point forward, after Elijah was taken, you know, there's the there's the famous uh, scripture where Elisha took his mantle and he uh, hit the water, hit the Jordan with it. And the prophets are on the other side, and they're watching. And he hit the water with it, and he said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And, and the Lord split the waters, and he walked across. And from that point forward, he carried Elijah's mantle uh, in every aspect. I mean, there was manifold meaning, meaning and his mantle is kind of like a physical representation of what had happened. It was a passing of the torch and multiplication at the same time of the anointing, which is a perfect picture of how things should be. Okay, but that being said, from that point forward, um, Elisha really started affecting everything, whole countries. The king of uh, Judah, Israel, and uh, Edom actually came to consult uh, Elisha uh, about going to war with the um, Moabites, I think it was, because uh, uh, the king of uh, uh, I think it was. I can't remember some foreign king. They uh, weren't paying tribute as they should have been, and so they were going to put down this rebellion. But there was a drought in the desert uh, where they were at. Go figure. Well, there was a drought in the wilderness uh, where they were at, and um, it was gonna it was gonna kill these armies. And uh, so they they said, "Is there not a prophet in the land?" And someone had piped up and said, "Well, there's Elisha who used to wash Elijah's hands." And they said, "Well, go get him." And from that moment forward, Elisha began to really change everything on a political level and change entire outcomes of, of, of the histories of, of nations. And that's what I wanted to hit on today. And it's and it's actually very relevant uh, with what's going on, what has been going on uh You could say it's become very prevalent since 2020, since last year. But honestly, what's been going on has been going on even before the change of the millennia. There has been other nations that has despised this nation, America. If you're listening from other countries, I'm happy you're listening. Keep listening uh, because... this is also for you. I'm just talking to an American audience specifically right now. But you can take this word. You can have this word. And this word is for you just as much as it is for any American Christian who's listening right now. You have to understand that now since Christ had, had, had died for our sins, was risen, and Holy Spirit has been unleashed on the earth, if I if I can say it like that, you know, Pentecost happened and the anointing of God and God himself sitting upon all of us, you know, like it says in Acts uh, 2, cloven tongues of fire on their heads. You got to understand that Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is God, as the Father is God. He is the Lord. And you have to understand what it is that you're walking in. You know, there was one time that uh, Jesus was in Samaria and his disciples asked him, uh, I think it was James and Andrew, you know, should we call down fire on these Samaritans? And Jesus said, basically, you need to be quiet because you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Like, you have no idea what the Lord is capable of. I'll just say it like that. You have no idea what the anointing that God has given you is capable of. But it's time that we realize that the anointing that's given from God can affect and should affect you know uh, the. It, you know, let's let's start on a small scale. It should affect the neighborhood around us. You know, uh, let me take you over to Romans five, okay? Uh, if you're if you're from our church, uh, from Deliverance Bible Church, you'll be familiar with Romans five eight. Uh, so let me read that real quick, but. Uh, God demonstrates his own love towards, uh, towards us in this, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? Let me give you, uh, a, you know, a bigger picture of what's going on here. Come with me to verse 17 over here. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. That's kind of what I'm hitting at, is reigning in life because of the abundance of grace that's over us. And the abundance, God's abundance that he gives us, you know, in Christ is reigning in this life. What does reign mean but to rule? And the reason why I'm bringing all this up and bringing up Elijah with this or Elisha with this is because Elisha walked out. In his lifetime what that meant and by prophesying you know what was to be the outcomes of entire nations that you know if that was Old Testament if that was you know when the Holy Spirit was only given to selected few okay what is that supposed to look like now now that we're in a new and better covenant you know if we were to go over the entire book of Hebrews explaining this that these guys in the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha, these guys, they only had a glimpse of what was to come, the hope of glory. They, they, they didn't have what we have now, and this is the kind of stuff they walked in then. And I want to tell you, because what's going on now, you may not realize, but this nation is actually literally under attack, and it should be alarming to you. And I'm bringing all this up specifically because... Um, because of what's what tomorrow is. Um if you're listening to this, you know, long time after I've published this, tomorrow is Memorial Day in 2021. Uh March 30th, 2021. And the reason why that's significant and these scriptures are significant is you have to understand, you know, for Christ's sake, He sets us free. Or I'm sorry, I, I said that wrong. For freedom's sake, Christ sets us free. For freedom's sake, Christ sets us free. Meaning, like, God doesn't even want His enemies, when we were His enemies, to have that oppression. He doesn't want any of us to have, you know, God's ideal world, if He were to control everything and and take away uh, freedom of choice that He's given us, then in His, you know, if this were at all possible, you know, because you've taken away choice and what I'm talking about is freedom... But we would live completely free of oppression. That's God's ideal world for us. And that's why in Isaiah 61, one of the things that's mentioned there is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach liberty to the captives. And so God is entirely against any oppression. God is entirely against anything that would keep you from reigning in life in the abundance of grace and and righteousness that's mentioned uh, here in Romans 5. Because like, you have to realize what, what God has done through Christ, through Jesus. There's a reason why in Second Peter it says that he's created a nation of kings and priests. The point was that we were to affect the outcome of whatever nation you're in, whatever nation you're living in, and also the nations around you, because we're supposed to be, like it says in Second Corinthians, ambassadors for Christ. You know, we're to bring the kingdom of heaven down on the earth. You know, that's that's the Lord's prayer where he tells them, you know, this is the way that you should pray. Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no oppression. In heaven, there there is no uh, uh, enslavement or anything. of the, There's no hindrance. You know, you, you are free to grow. uh as much as you want to, and that is exactly the point. You know, uh, quoting Isaiah it says that the increase of His, Jesus's government, would know no end. That we would become more and more abundant in life. Jesus said that He came to bring, uh, to give life, and life more abundant. All this matters because you know, if you have issue with this, you really need to read your Bible because most of your Bible is prophets that are speaking against oppression and those who would oppress Israel uh, and Judah. That is the majority of your Bible right there. It is men of God who are anointed by God who rise up and stand against oppression of those who would see the demise of Israel. And I'm telling you, it's the same spirit that's coming against America at the same time, because whether you want to accept this or not, this nation was founded uh, on religious freedom, it was founded for Christians to be able to worship God freely. That is the reason why this nation exists. And I'm throwing back all the way back to the 1600s, Plymouth Rock. If you if you uh, know much about this nation's history, you know I, I, we could really go into this. I could tell you how, you know, at the at the uh, advice of a uh, Puritan which was not the religion that King James was. And in fact, this was at a time when there was wars being fought because of religious freedoms. And it was called the War of the Three Kingdoms. Uh, you know, there were skirmishes that were going on. There was uh, the Protestants and the Catholics fighting. And then amongst the Protestants, there was the Presbyterians and the Puritans that were fighting. So uh, – uh, the The Puritans actually advised there there was a specific Puritan that advised King James to make a Bible that didn't have any notes in it that wasn't trying to indoctrinate anybody but strictly give what the word says, and that's where you know we call it King James and you're up in Europe and other places they call it the authorized version of the Bible it was the point was to have a Bible that uh was free of the notes for you to receive pure word. that was kind of the point of that thing, okay. At the same time, King James advised uh, the Puritans, "Why don't you go to Why don't you go to North America and uh, start a settlement there?" And uh, you know, you, you heard of the Jamestown settlement and and what was happening then, and got off to let's just say got off to a really rocky, rocky start. But the point was for the religious freedom. And along the way, you know, 100, 150 years later, uh, past that point, you have uh, more and more people coming to the colonies, as they were called. Some of them came of their own accord. Some uh, were sent as a, a sentence carried out. You know, they were, um, what do you call them? Indentured slaves for various reasons. Uh, right before the American Revolution, there was, um, there was what was called a Jacobite rebellion. There was two and the last one. There was a lot of Scots that were sent to uh, South Carolina Uh, Because they were trying to make the area like a little penal settlement meaning that these these people were sent there because they were uh, Found guilty of treason and they were to carry out sentences as indentured slaves uh, in the colonies, so there was a massive influx of of, um, uh, People from what's now the United Kingdom into uh, What's now? uh, New England in that area But uh, my point being Which uh, there was that going on. And then uh, King George was also dealing with something that was called uh, the Seven Years War. And I'm bringing up a lot of history. And there was also the French-Indian War uh, that was going on. England's uh, finances were seriously getting tapped is the point that I was getting at with explaining all that history. So then the king started uh, essentially creating ridiculous taxes, uh, not just tea tax, but there was other stuff which caused the Boston, uh, tea party and the, um, what do you call it? It was the, um, it was speaking out against taxation without representation, uh, protests. It was protest of, of, uh, taxation without representation, which eventually led to the American revolution. There was, there was an escalate. It wasn't the only thing. There was an escalate of things which led to, um, the American Revolution and then Declaration of Sovereignty, which is our Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. Um, But the point of it all, and the point that we even did that was the English king was seriously heavily oppressing the people. And they were oppressing the people here in what's now the United States. And these people... Would send uh, lawyers and and uh, um, other educated people to the king, trying to plea and deal with things diplomatically, and try and see what we could do peacefully and get the laws changed because they were they were heavily oppressive on us, and that didn't work out, and so it led to a revolution. Okay, but the thing that is this is what a lot of people don't understand, and this is what I'm getting to. Um. Just because we signed a piece of paper on July 4, 1776, and we uh, send it to the king, doesn't mean that the king's going to honor that thing. As a matter of fact, if he was a good king, which in this particular sense he was, if he was a king at all to be taken seriously, he would have to put down any rebellion within his realm. And so as king, and as, you know, as our forefathers understood this, to sign a Declaration of Independence was to be labeled uh traitors and was treasonous and was actually kind of legally slow. They they could have been uh caught and they could have been tried and they could have been hanged for being traitors, uh, because they were still part of, you know, the king's realm. So what people don't understand is the war didn't stop just with the signing of the Declaration of Independence. War kept going on, as a matter of fact, it went on for quite some time, uh after that. And so we had a few more wars and then we had a famous word that was called the War of 1812. Now, a lot of people, they don't know a lot of history and that's okay. But the War of 1812 was not just in 1812. What we call the War of 1812 went all the way up until 1815. Uh, and there was even some skirmishes that were still going on in the 1816 up in the north of the Wisconsin area. But during that War of 1812, uh, in the year of 1814, and all this is tying into the scriptures that I was reading. Just bear with me, okay? And all this is tying into Memorial Day, and this is what I want to bring up, because Memorial Day should be remembering those who have fought and bled and died and paid the highest price that they could pay, which is their life, for us to continue and the freedoms that we have, and the price that we paid as a nation as Americans was very, very high to enjoy the freedoms and the liberties that we fully take advantage of and don't understand completely the weight of the uh, liberties and, and the privileges that we enjoy now because, because this this really isn't taught and this is why Memorial Day should be Uh, Something that that should be considered or or rather the concept behind Memorial Day should be important. We should know our history. We should know the price that was paid, not just, you know, in the American Revolution. You know, if you go even as recent as World War Two, you should understand that, you know, it is a gift from God to be born in this nation because we enjoy lots of freedom and privileges that are not enjoyed everywhere else in the world. And we fully take advantage of these things and not necessarily in a good way. But even though, I mean, even that being said, it has made us a target as a nation from other nations who would despise and envy us because of what we have, which is kind of the point that I'm getting to. And it's happened before. Um, it has happened, it is happening and will happen in the future. And that is the point of the, of why I'm putting out this podcast today is for us to remember where we came from, remember what we're dealing with, remember that this is going on and we need to, we need to deal with this because there's a very prevalent issue that's actually going on right now. America is under attack. Like, you and I are under attack and they're hitting us and we don't even see it because what we think of as war is only what we've seen in movies, which is, you know, as, you know. let's, let's go with uh, any given movie about the American Revolution. You think of two opposing armies on a battlefield lining up and shooting shot at each other and, and you know, each front line dies and then the next comes in. That's not war. That's not most of war. In fact, in history, that's not a lot of what war is. What a lot of war is in history is like skirmishes, or sometimes it's not even actual like death and fighting, but this is very much still a part of war where you affect a country economically. And I don't know if you knew this, but with legislation that has been passed this year, in fact, on the first day of this current president's uh, presidency, this imposter-in-chief, and and I'll say it because that's exactly what he is, he's an imposter-in-chief, signed over 70 executive orders, more than any president, especially on the first day, but more than any president. Um, He has significantly devalued to the point where it's almost completely um, worthless, the buying power of the American dollar, which is going to cause a massive inflation. And that is something you do... When you are a foreign invader and you are trying to take over a place, you hit them economically. We can go to the Middle Ages and I could show you uh, medieval skirmishes where that's exactly what you if you were gonna okay if you were to look at America as like a castle, think of it as like you know some castle in Europe. Just think of a country as a castle. How would you take over that castle? And the reason why I say it that way is because America is, is uh, fortified. It's uh, very defensible. We have a strong military still. And, you know, it's nearly impenetrable. And it's a, it's an imposing uh, military might. And it's intimidating And if you are someone who wants to take over America, this, this castle America, how would you do it? Well, the first thing I would do is surround it and I would keep trade from going in and keep, keep trade so it can't come out. So I would, I would shut off all trade to this castle. I would cut off all water uh, to this castle. If they don't have a well inside, they have to draw water outside the castle. I would shut off all water outside this castle. I would starve everyone within this castle and this would take months, but this is about the only way you can do it. I would starve everyone within this castle until they finally give up. And that's essentially how a lot of medieval wars were fought with castles and sieges and things of that nature. It wasn't, you know, hundreds of men lining up with their swords and then they run to the middle of a battlefield and clash. That rarely happened. We are flat out in the middle of a war. And Our enemy has done a really good job in keeping himself nameless, but ultimately, it's antichrist in nature. It's an antichrist spirit who's coming behind this, and us as Christians need to do our part, rise up, realize, first of all, you need to understand, you have the ability to defeat this enemy. God has given you everything you need to defeat this enemy. and There are things that you, as an individual, as a nobody like me, who, you know, would think their names would ever be in history books. You have the ability to do something about this. And there are some people already you can see uh, things are happening. And I'm not talking about these people that uh, you see doing craziness, you know, on on the news. I'm not talking about being a a fanatic terrorist or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. Um, What I am talking about, let me give you an example. So I don't know if you remember the uh, GameStop stocks. And what was going on with that, and people on Reddit getting together and buying GameStop stocks to eventually prevent the collapse of this company, and it severely hurt people who make a lot of money off of other companies losing their stocks. They prevented that from happening, and it's things like that where we can, um, where we can uh, fortify in our economy that would keep someone from actually invading on our on our homeland because i'm telling you it starts with things like inflation and even biblically speaking if we go back to second kings uh i think it's like chapter six and chapter seven when benedad the king of syria came against uh samaria he did the same thing he starved them out he starved them out and elisha prophesied you know, uh, a donkey's head would be sold, you know, I forget what it was. I think it was like eight shekels or something like that. And half a cob of, of pigeon dung would be two shekels. Essentially, massive, massive inflation. And there would be uh, famine in Samaria. You know, so even you could see, you know, in the Bible, this was like, what, 2,500 years ago? It's the same tactic that's being used because conceptually, it's all the same. The execution is carried out a little bit differently because the times and uh, and, and stuff are different. Technology is different, but it's essentially the same thing that's going on. You don't have to be, you know, a big history thumper. You could just read your Bible and see what's going on and just know this kind of stuff has happened and, uh, all throughout recordable history and will continue to happen beyond our lifetime unless the Lord comes back. And, uh... The point that I was getting at, you know, Memorial Day is coming up. We have biblical examples of anointed men of God rising up for their nation. Uh, let me let me kind of segue into this. It's not wrong to be a Christian and a patriot. In fact, it's it's very biblical, and. Why that should matter is because on the most basic level, as a Christian, as a child of God, as someone who has the answer to mankind's problem, the answer, people are worried about global warming and stuff like that, and how are they going to solve that dilemma, that's something they can't solve, because that's not what, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that the world wouldn't uh, burn to a crisp, you know, not that I'm saying that uh, the global warming Theories are right. I'm not saying that at all, because it, you know, as we look at recordable history and prehistory, they all these all these um, um, you know quote unquote scientists they'll tell you before uh, before the Ice Age the dinosaurs were living in a warm, humid you know uh, favorable environment for for the dinosaurs who were the uh, apex predators and stuff like that you know top of the food chain right that the that there's proliferation of dinosaurs in the, in the world, and they would tell you that it was a warm and humid globe uh, at that time. And then an asteroid or, or something hit, and it caused uh, uh, massive amounts of dust to cover the atmosphere. And it caused a massive freeze, and thus began the ice age. But my point being is all throughout history, all throughout history and prehistory. The world has gone through these different cycles of hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. It's because the world, This is the, let me tell you some actual biology here, the world and the laws of physics try to balance everything out. It's called homeostasis. And so things are going to get hot and cold, especially as we travel and the pattern that we do around the sun, things are going to get hot and cold and it's just moving inches. You know, uh, it just varies in inches in our distance away from the sun that causes these drastic effects. It's going to happen. Jesus didn't die on the cross for that. What Jesus died on the cross for is sin. And this is another thing. You know, all these gun laws that they're trying to pass, they're trying to take away the guns of Americans and things like that. And they say it's it's to prevent uh, massive shootings and things like that. That is just a facade. They are trying to take away your guns so that you cannot defend yourself. Their logic does not stand on its own feet. And the reason why is because you cannot legislate away sin. You cannot legislate away. You cannot pass enough laws to prevent people from sinning and breaking God's laws. You can't, you can't. If you take away the guns, all the guns in the United States, people be killing each other with rocks. You know, you take away all the guns, all the knives, any sharp object, people be killing each other with round rocks. And that's another biblical thing. Cain killed Abel. Cain didn't have a gun, Cain murdered Abel out of the evil in his heart. You cannot legislate sin. They know this, but they're using that as a facade. The only thing those laws are going to affect is law-abiding citizens. It's going to take away the guns from people who want to be your average, okay, quote-unquote, good American citizen who's not trying to break the law, who's not trying to hurt anybody. You're just going to take their guns away because people who are bent on killing someone else have no regard for the law. They'll get their hands on whatever they need to fulfill whatever evil desires in their heart. Let me get that out of the way. But the point is, they're they're the economy's been struck. They're trying to take our guns away. They're trying to take away our, our ability to defend ourselves. They've infiltrated our our legal system our, our government, which is a very old tactic. I can take you back to Charlemagne and the Saxon Wars. I can take you to the Plantagenets and how they subdued England and Wales and Scotland. You know, that's that's what you do. You come in. You know, if you're a Norman invader, you come in, you replace those who are in power with your guys. It's what they did in Scotland. It's what they did in Wales. In Wales, you don't hear much about it, but you know, if you think of the movie Braveheart. You got Edward I, who they call Longshanks. Edward Longshanks, he's the main antagonist of that movie. Okay, Historically, in Wales, he went through and systematically built these castles from the south on up, and then he replaced all the, uh, all the noblemen, all the aristocrats, with his own guys. And they changed the laws, heavily oppressing the people of Wales, until Wales came under subject of English rule. And he, did, he tried doing exactly the same thing uh, in Scotland. And the same thing he did in Wells, he went after the Welsh royal families, he killed the wives, he killed the children until, you know, there was nothing left. And uh, I, I could tell you even more about that, uh, having discovered, you know, what I found out my, my uh, having genetic test on, I found out that um, my paternal side is Welsh and things like that, and having dug into the history of Wells and why we came over here in the first place, it was because of heavy oppression from the English rule. And actually, at the time, it was um, Cromwell is why my Davis side came over here. But anyways, they systematically went through. They built these fortifications, that were the barricades, these barriers, preventing, you know, it was uh, an imposing uh, figure of governing is what these castles were. Uh, it's the concept that was used in... Uh, World War II that was called Panzerschreck, which means to intimidate your enemy into submission. That's what these castles were there for. And that was essentially the same thing. You come in, you replace all those who are in power with your people. They start passing laws so that you could come in and subject these people to your role. That's what you do when you're the enemy. Like That's how the enemy thinks because that's what he's done historically over and over and over and over and over again. It's the same old tactics, just executed a little differently because of the times. And that's exactly what's going on now. We got people in Congress, these two-bit traders in Congress, and it's, I'm not, I'm not at all. Let me just get this out of the way. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I am neither. Okay, because I'll say because of George Bush and because of Clinton, I am neither Republican nor Democrat. You got those guys to think. You got two-bit traders on both sides that are. Uh, uh, Chinese sympathizers, communist sympathizers. And there is a history of America battling communism for over a hundred years. Now it goes back to 1919 in America after the rise of the Bolsheviks in Russia. Okay. This goes all the way back to 1919. They play the race card and I'm not saying there isn't racial oppression. Racial oppression should be dealt with. Okay. We shouldn't, you know, racism should be a a subject that's talked about. I'm not at all saying, you know, anything like that. I, I will say, though, I don't like the Black Lives Matter movement only because that movement is a communist tool. I am all for all races being equal. I am not for Black Lives Matter specifically because that is a communism tool. As a matter of fact, one of, the, one of the top leaders, she just got arrested for embezzling a lot of donation money. And by the way, they found lots of weapons at her house. And she flat out has admitted, if it wasn't her, it was another higher up. They flat out admit that they were, as they said, were trained by Marxist organizers. They are a, a, a communist tool bent on, on uh, subjecting America to communism. That is our enemy that we're dealing with. That is the thing that we need to come against, because communism, ideally, is Antichrist. And if you've ever read Karl Marx's Manifesto, you will see it is Antichrist in, 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 in uh, spirit. And the the uh, spirit that's behind communism is is out to destroy Christianity, not just America, but around the world. And if you look into your history with the Sino-Japanese War, uh, early 20th century when Japan was invading in Hong Kong and Shanghai and places like that, Um, who came in it was the Communist Party and their military regime and they said we'll save the day and that's how communism spread throughout China and by the way they used evangelistic tactics to spread their propaganda they took from their enemy what they could use to implore to to further their cause they learned from us how to spread communism and they've been using it ever since (sighs) why all this matters is because we are under attack by communism. And I want to remind you the spirit that's in this nation, the godly spirit that's behind this nation. This how how God actually is responsible for the birth of this nation and he used both godly and ungodly people. Not all of our founding, uh, founding fathers were Christian, nor am I arguing that. In fact, it really didn't matter. Where they stood with God, God was going to use them. And it wouldn't be the first time that God has used someone who wasn't a godly man. You know, I could uh, tell you how uh, Sennacherib, uh, king of Assyria, was used to punish Israel. You know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was used by God to humble Israel. I could I could show you time and time again where God would use someone who wasn't a godly man. You know, uh, the high priest in, in Jesus' time... Uh, prophesied simply because the office that he held that Jesus would be crucified. You don't have to be a Christian to be used by God. Balaam, who's considered a prophet of God, wasn't necessarily in God's favor and his grace because he chose to side with the enemy, Balak, who wanted him to uh, prophesy against Israel. And he was killed for his treason, in that sense, not necessarily to Israel, but to the Lord. Uh, his treason against the, the kingdom of heaven. And God uh, will use anybody. And God used who our founding fathers were. Again, not all of them were great guys. Not all of them were saints. You know, it's. I think it's uh, common knowledge now about Ben Franklin's life and, and how he lived a very lavish and debaucherous life. And was living it up, at, at, you know, orgies in Paris while he's uh, negotiating diplomacy between Paris and, and or, uh, France and the United States and getting support of the French. You know, I'm not at all saying that all the American uh, founding fathers were saints, but I'm saying God used these men to, found, to, to establish this nation as a, as a uh, haven of freedom. From oppression. And that's why certain things like, okay, why is there so much hatred against the American flag? Think about that. Why are so many people against the American flag? Why do you see so many fanatics burning? You know, you can find video after video of uh, fanatics burning the American flag. Why do so many people resent that flag? It's not because of the material it's made of. It's not because it's some, you know, two-bit... Uh, makes poly cotton whatever you know it has nothing to do with that it's not about the flag itself it's what it represents you know let me take you to uh the war of 1812 which extended beyond the war of 1812 that's just the name of it just think of the war of 1812 as a name the war itself you know had been happening before 1812 and kind of ended in 1815, 1860 with uh, the boundaries of the United States being set up and Britain understanding their boundaries with us. And then we could, you know, we established our borders. And then at that point we were able to establish a more diplomatic relation with, with uh, Britain. But, you know, with, with, uh, the American revolution that happened, in the 1770s because it was before 1776 and it continued after 1776. Just because some people signed a piece of paper and sent it to the king didn't stop the wars. The wars were still going on which led to the War of 1812. Uh, You had in Boston or not Boston, you had in Baltimore uh, excuse me, in Baltimore in 1814 September of 1814 Baltimore, Fort McHenry you had the entire well I don't know if it was the entire English Navy, but you had a massive amount of naval ships coming into the Chesapeake Bay. And I really love the story because I have a close family from Maryland. My grandfather Ken's father uh, was from Maryland and he moved to Texas. So I, I really like the story anyways. Uh, you had the entire, well a lot, if not all, the naval fleet, uh, British naval fleet in the Chesapeake Bay. And it was all focused on this fort called Fort uh, McHenry that was in Baltimore. And uh, Baltimore was known for rebelling against uh, the English rule. And in the Chesapeake Bay area, people from Baltimore were um, stealing naval ships, British naval ships. They were uh, seizing and, and kind of blockading uh, well, essentially frustrating the plans of, of the Royal Navy. Okay. They were essentially frustrating the plans of the Royal Navy to the point that the Royal Navy focused all of its attention on this fort, uh, Fort McHenry. And, uh, the English army just finished like obliterating, um, the American army in, in, uh, Washington and was heading towards, uh, Maryland. And then you had uh, a British army that was on these ships, they uh, got deployed off these ships and then came around to the east side. Of, well, they came up. They came up from the west side uh, to the backside of Baltimore, and so Baltimore was surrounded by uh, the British Navy and the British Army. And there was negotiation negotiations initially. Uh, Baltimore had sent this thirty five year old lawyer. You might know him. His name's Francis Scott Key to negotiate about the prisoners of war that were taken by the British army. And, uh, they actually, uh, were able to succeed in negotiations and between the Americans and the British, they, they, uh, negotiated one for one. So one American prisoner for one British prisoner. Um, but at that point, while those negotiations were going on, bigger negotiations were going on and essentially the King gave Baltimore an ultimatum, they said, surrender or die. And uh, Baltimore said, tell the king to eat a lemon. We're not surrendering. So on, what was it? September, September, September 13th, uh, in the morning, as soon as as the sun came up, the uh, Navy started bombing and bombarding this fort. And I think it was estimated that there was like 1,500 to 2,000 cannonballs that were... Uh, twenty thousand uh cannonballs that were shot in the Baltimore and into Fort McHenry, and uh, they had everything from these these uh, massive destructive hundred ninety pound bombs, cast iron bombs that were sent to thirteen pound uh, mortar shells. It was it was devastating and disastrous, and they were just bombing and bombing and bombing, and it was raining pretty hard that particular uh, day as well. And then at night, it's raining hard. There's bombings going on. Uh, there's it, The night is like, first of all, it, it was dark. Uh, Baltimore, was. Uh, there was an order given by, by the uh, American commander that everyone in Baltimore, turn out your candles, extinguish your candles so that the Navy can't see uh, to, to uh, aim and, and uh, shoot their cannons. But on top of that, when you fire black powder, it leaves off a heavy, thick smoke. And so you have the fort who's volleying uh, back at the naval fleet. And they can only see when the naval fleet shoots, you know, where to aim their cannons. So they're firing back in retaliation. The English Navy relentlessly is is bombing this fort over and over and over. And it goes on for over 24 hours, uh, all the way up until 730. I know this because... Um, Again, this this is this is a story I really love. All the way until uh 7 of the next day, so it was like 25-26 hours of non-stop shelling. And as a matter of fact, this is a tactic that was used in World War One. Uh where you're just constantly bombing, 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 bombing. It's to not only obliterate your enemy, but also demoralize anyone who might survive. And it's where the term shell shock came from. But anyways. They're bombing and bombing and bombing. And then at the same time, the British Navy uh, or the British Army was coming in from the backside and was going to meet the uh, American Army on the backside. But the American Army was there and they uh, they actually were they successfully repelled the British Army. Uh, and early on in the fight, an American sniper, I love this story, uh, killed the commanding general of um, of the British Army. His name was General Ross. Uh, I don't know the sniper's name wasn't really recorded, but I like it because just an average dude was able to change the tide of the war right there. And, uh, I think he was the general responsible for the battle they had won in Washington, which was a devastating blow to the American army anyways. So the shelling was going on. Francis was, uh, on the ship. He wasn't allowed to go to shore, you know, until the shelling was done. Because the uh, British officer told him he'll honor the negotiations. And Francis would make sure that uh, the Americans honored the negotiations one for one. So Francis is having to watch all this going on. And it's devastating. There's a mix of emotion going on. Because if if the Navy is still bombing the fort, then that means the fort is still fighting. But that also means the fort's getting bombed at the same time. And everyone can hear this going on and it's it's devastating and jaw-dropping at the same time and uh the funny thing is is because of the ultimatum that was given the uh given baltimore the american commanding officer there uh what was his name um major armistad had ordered the biggest American flag that could be made to be made, and it had 15 stars and 15 stripes. And uh, this is where we get the song The Star Spangled Banner. But it's 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 the spirit behind America is they this fort Fort McHenry withstood this bombing, and there was many lives that were lost. There was, you know, but we held our ground and in the morning. You know, they were still there, and I think at that point the naval fleet ran out of uh, ran out of munitions to throw at Baltimore, and they had no choice but to turn around and go back. And uh, as they were going back, uh, Major Armistead had had the uh, storm flag changed out because at this point we had uh, military regulations. I'm a little bit familiar, not very familiar at all, though, with the FM 22-5. uh, 22.3-5, which was field manual that it originated all the way back to a Dutchman named Von Steuben, who helped uh, General Washington at the time uh, organize our what is now the U.S. Army. And uh, part of those regulations talk about changing out the flags. And so at night, Fort McHenry had what was called a storm flag. And it's it's called a storm flag because it's a flag you fly in storms. But also at night, and it uh, it has to do with the size of the flag more than uh, more than its actual purpose. So it was a smaller version of the flag that they had all night long. Well, you know, through the through the thick smoke of of the uh, of the black powder and all that stuff, he had the flag changed out to this big, 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 big American flag, and it was noted by some of the British. Uh, British, uh, naval fleet, some, some of the guys that were on the boats, how you could see this gigantic American flag as they were leaving Chesapeake Bay, uh, going, going down the river. And, um, the reason why that matters is because it's the, the flag itself is not, you know, that important. It's what the flag represents. That flag stood in the face of oppression it represents standing up to anyone who would oppress you. That's why to this day there are people that burn the American flag because they despise that we stand against oppression. They despise, you know, or they're, uh, they've bought into this lie that you know we're the bad guys. Although I will tell you, we're not entirely innocent. You know, I'll tell you, we've done. You know, America has done some shady things, especially back in the '60s, um, mainly the CIA being involved and some stuff going on in South America. You know um, there was someone had put out a book it was called uh, American Imperialism and I will say there are some things that they mentioned that are actually you know have to admit are true. I don't agree with everything this nation has done uh, but the average American citizen, no matter what race you are, no matter what religion you were, where you came from, what you know no matter your stance, a lot of us, we love this nation because this is a nation where we have those freedoms. Where we have these freedoms the, where where our govern our government facilitates our natural God-given rights. Or at least that's what it was. You know, prior to this recent election, I'll tell you that. And I will tell you as an average citizen, I'm not telling you to take up arms, but what I am telling you there are things you can do on the daily. As a born-again Christian, you can be led, and it's okay, by Holy Spirit, in your day-to-day life with things that can change the outcome of this nation. Just like those people on Reddit, you know, were buying, and they're at it again, actually. Uh, they get together, and they'll they'll start buying certain stocks because they're preventing these, these, these um, stock sharks from coming in and destroying companies. Because if these companies go under... You know, those are jobs. These these they're attacking our jobs, the the jobs of the, you know, individual American. This this stuff affects us. And we as people need to stand against this and need to stand against the suppression and need a voice that this is not okay. That there are things that are being done. The government itself, you know, we can't I I believe that that uh, this government has lost a lot of trustability with us. That, you know, anything that, that gets passed in legislation should be look, looked at skeptically. I, I believe that at this point in time that that's not, you know, a bad thing to stand on. And again, it's on both sides. It's on both sides. You know, there's a certain Texas representative uh, who is a Republican that I don't particularly uh, like myself because he's, he's – he's, He poses as a republican but he's he's a he's a lover of communism and he's actually out to like destroy the very things he's out to oppress us and then pass legislation that would oppress americans you know that that flag that day and it caused it caused uh francis scott key to you know actually uh write this poem that was called the battle of fort mchenry and in the middle of that poem was where we get the star-spangled banner which uh they took out of that poem uh just two months after and and made it into a song and then was published as a as a song with you know notes and things like that and I know people make a big deal about you know it's a it's a, a particular drinking uh song tune you know the it, point being it was a it was a tune that everyone knew and and could sing but uh it stood for something that flag stood saying that you know we we endured. You know, this this lash that you that you put against us and we're still standing and we still say no and we will not be your subjects and we will not bow down. And like George Washington said, I love this quote from him. He said, every American Christian stands out because he would rather die on his feet than live on his knees, meaning we would rather stand against oppression and die fighting against oppression rather than subject ourselves to a life of oppression or or slavitude. And that is the American spirit. You know, if, if you as a Christian could birth a nation, let me tell you, this is how you would want to do it. You would want to create an environment of religious freedom. And the reason why I say that, you want to allow anyone and everyone to come in. You don't want to say, well, this is a Christian nation and everyone must be a Christian. The reason why is because as a Christian, you understand Following Christ is a choice. And being born again, that's really not up to you anyways. You know, we as Christians are only Christians because Holy Spirit has made us born again because we've repented of our sins. So that's something entirely up to God. You want religious freedom because you want to create an environment where Christians can preach the gospel. And there's no better way to do that than allowing religious freedom. You would want a nation like that. And that's exactly the kind of nation that we were, that we've become. And you want to cultivate where people can talk about political differences and they respect each other. I remember as a kid growing up, my grandfather would talk to strangers, you know, in the grocery store. And then they would get on politics and sometimes they would agree. Sometimes they would disagree. But either way. He would smile at them, shake their hand and say, it was nice meeting you. And although we may disagree, I completely respect your opinion. That's the kind of of country that we are. Don't let the media fool you that we are a nation that's a conglomeration of all kinds of people from everywhere, every creed, every race. And we have many ideas many differences many perspectives we're not a melting pot we're a we're a well-tossed salad that has all these beautiful individual pieces together but we are united in a common cause that we are Americans and we will stand up for our god-given rights and we won't let others Take that, and then we should be that beacon of hope for the rest of the world. If this nation falls, it will drastically affect the world, and it will drastically affect those who hope for a chance at freedom in the countries where they live in, where oppression is going on. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Saddam Hussein was heavily oppressing the people of Iraq, muster gassing his own people. They looked to America for hope. That wasn't that long ago. We have to stand because it inspires others to stand up against oppression. And as a Christian, that's our job to preach liberty to the captives. We cannot let this nation go. So remember where we came from. Remember those who have bled and died, not just in the American Revolution, even in World War I and World War II, which I'll tell you started with, with an economic war first. If you look in your history, I don't have much time left. But, you know, World War II, they were hitting our, our uh, the German U boats were hitting our, our merchant class ships and our aristocrats. You didn't want either of that happening because there goes the American job. At the same time, we were bombing ball bearing plants in, uh, in Japan and destroying factories in Germany. Why? Because you hit economically. That's how these wars start. That's how wars start. And I'm telling you, we're at the beginning of a war. With that being said, I want to encourage you, though. To see yourself from this perspective, that being born again, you affect, every area of your life is affected by God, and that you, as an anointed man or woman of God, can, inf- can affect for the good everyone around you, your neighborhood, your state, your county, or whatever, or your nation, that God can use you in a big way, even though you might be a nobody like me. And to ask God what He would have you do. This has been The Kilted Preacher, and I thank you for your time. Father, I ask that you just bless these people who are listening. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you touch each and every individual. God, you bless them and open their eyes and show them and show me. Lord, let us walk out this life that you have in store for us.